Acts 28, 11 through 31. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Pudelioli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the form of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have, they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their hearts and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. All right, good morning. So we started our, our journey through Acts uh, a little less than a year ago. Today we're in the last passage that Jen just read for us. And, and to be honest with you, it kind of it snuck up on me a little bit. Like it felt like we were in the middle of Acts and then all of a sudden uh, we're, at, we're at the very end. Um, and, and really, that's, that's kind of how the book ends. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But, but before we do that, I want to I just give you kind of a little preview of where we're going next. So today is last Sunday in Acts. Next week, we're going to start a six-week series where we're going to talk about our adoption in Christ. And then after that, we're going to start a, a journey through uh, the minor prophets. So we're going to go through all 12 minor prophets. And, uh, and that, that'll be fun, I'm sure. Um, one, of the, one of the main reasons why we're doing that is because on... Uh, surveys when when you know Christians are surveyed about their their understanding and knowledge and appreciation for the Bible, the minor prophets is always at the bottom of the list. Right? It's the part that people read the least. It's the part that people understand the least. It's the part that people preach the least because it's not fun to preach. And so we're going to do that so that the next time we get one of those surveys, it can be at the top of our list because we've we've got it all and, and love it. Um, but today we're we're in this last passage of Acts and it, it ends really abruptly. Right? Paul Paul gets to Rome. He he meets with. 
some Christians there. He meets with the Jews there. He tells them that because they're rejecting the gospel, he's going to go to the Gentiles. And then Luke gives us kind of this, this summary statement in a couple verses. And then the book is over. We don't figure out what happens next. We don't learn the rest of the story. Uh, but what we're going to see is that Luke ends the book kind of really how it's been going all along, where, where the emphasis is where it should be. It's not on Paul and what he's doing and what's going to happen with him. He, he ends the book with an emphasis on Jesus and his kingdom because that's the story he's been telling all along. And so we'll, we'll see that as we move through this passage and especially as we end. But, but as we get into it, the, the first thing that happens is that Luke tells us that they set sail after waiting for three months. So if you remember our, our shipwreck passage, Paul said, hey guys, the weather's getting bad. We, we shouldn't sail. And, and they sailed and then there was a shipwreck. Now that seems like they've, they've kind of, apparently that's beyond series ability. Ah. So Paul said, hey, don't sail. Because the weather is bad, they sailed, they got in a shipwreck, and at this point, they actually waited. They said, hey, because of everything that happened, uh, I mean, they don't, they don't have a ship anyway, so they, they stay and they winter on the island for three months, and then they leave. And Luke tells us that they left on an Alexandrian ship that had wintered on the island, and it, it had this, this figurehead on the ship of, of the twin Twin goddess, so the Greek god Castor and Pollux as its figurehead. And like that, that doesn't matter to us other than to just recognize that it's a, a verifiable detail in the story, right? Luke is writing this not just as someone who's, who's spinning a narrative. He is a historian recording what happened. And he says, this is the ship that they left on. This is the figurehead that it had at the front of the ship so that you could go and you could track down this ship and you should say, hey, did you winter on this island at this time? And, you know, was this, there this Roman prisoner that was on your ship? You could verify the details with eyewitnesses who saw these things happen. So Luke says that they left on the ship. They sailed to uh, Syracuse, which is on the island of Sicily. They stayed there for three days. Then they sailed to Regium, and a south wind took them to, uh, to Puteoli on the second day. And there, uh, Luke says that they found other Christians, and those Christians showed them hospitality for seven days. And so this is another place in Acts where we see the gospel going forward through ordinary Christians showing ordinary hospitality, inviting Paul and his, his, his travel companions into their home and show them hospitality for seven days. Then as they get closer to Rome... Some of the Christians from Rome actually come out to meet them. So you got ordinary hospitality. These Christians inviting them to their home for seven days. From the Christians at Rome, we see more like extraordinary hospitality. They leave their own city to go forward to welcome them. It says that they came as far as the Forum of, of Apius in the Three Taverns. To put this in perspective for you, this is, this is about 43 and 33 miles from Rome. So this would be like going uh, from, from Bowling Green or Eolia to Hannibal to welcome someone to, to your house. Uh, that's, this is pretty, pretty extreme welcoming from the Christians at Rome. They're, they're, they're welcoming Paul. And, and Luke says that when Paul saw them, he, he thanks God and he takes courage. This phrase here, takes courage, it, it, it conveys the idea of becoming emboldened or, or, or galvanized in the face of real, actual danger. So this isn't just that, like, you know, Paul, like, felt better about himself. You know, it's not just that he, you know, was, was a little braver, right? Paul knows that he's headed to Rome where he's going to face real danger. He's going to stand trial before Caesar, and there's a decent chance that that trial is not going to go well. 
right? All along the way, God has promised Paul, you're going to make it to Rome and you're going to stand before Caesar, but there was nothing after that, right? Paul doesn't know what's going to happen to him. As he gets closer, he needs more encouragement. And these Christians uh, go out of their way. They leave their own city to go to where Paul is to welcome him. And it and encourages him. It, it gives him boldness so that he can proclaim the gospel and, and be a strong witness before Caesar when he gets to Rome. When they get to Rome, uh, we find out what Paul does when in Rome. Luke says that Paul stays by himself. He's allowed to stay by himself with a, with a soldier who's guarding him. Uh, and he, uh, three days in, he reaches out to the local Jewish leaders. He can't go to them like he normally does. And so he invites them to come to his house. Uh, he's probably under some kind of house arrest here. And Luke says that Paul speaks to these guys and he says that, that he hasn't done anything against his people or their customs, but he's been delivered to Rome as, as a prisoner from Jerusalem. He explains that uh, after he was examined by the Romans, they wanted to set him free, but the Jews objected. And because Paul was afraid for his life, he appealed to Caesar, like we've seen in recent weeks in the passages in Acts. And so he tells them, this is, this is why I'm here. This is, this is why I'm in Rome. This is why I'm under house arrest. But then he says, the real reason why he's in chains is because of the hope of Israel. What he's telling them is that he's on trial. He's in chains. He's a witness in Rome because of the Messiah, because of Jesus' resurrection, because he's bearing witness to the true fact that everything that the Jews have been waiting for has been fulfilled in Jesus. That's why Paul is there. That's what he's doing. That's what his mission is. He wants them to know that. They respond that they haven't heard anything from Jerusalem about Paul. They don't don't have any bad information about him. Uh, they do have bad information about this sect that he's a part of. And so they say, we want to we hear more about this uh, because they've only heard bad reports about it. So they, they appoint another day to come to where Paul is to, to hear more. They bring more people with them. They bring a larger group. And so, so Paul is in Rome to bear witness to Jesus. He's already gotten one opportunity to do that before these Jews. They leave. They bring more people. So Paul, even though he's under house arrest, even though he's in chains, he can still do what God has called him to do. And Luke says that from morning till evening, Paul expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. So what he's doing here is is the Hebrew Bible is is the law, the prophets, and the writings. It's it's the Tanakh, right? You could go on Amazon right now and you could buy one. And and that's an acronym, T-N-K. Stands for the law, the prophets, and the writings. And so when Luke says that that Paul is testifying to the Jews uh, about Jesus from the law and the prophets, he's saying that he's using their scriptures. He's using the Old Testament. He's using the Hebrew Bible to say, this is who the Old Testament says the Messiah would be. And these things are fulfilled in Jesus. He's arguing that Jesus is the Messiah from the Old Testament. He's, he's preaching Christ from Scripture, just like we do. He's telling them the good news that the Messiah has come. The hope of Israel is here. God's kingdom has dawned in Christ. He's telling them that everything they've been waiting for has been fulfilled. It's happened. Some of those who are present are convinced. They're, they're kind of starting to believe the things that Paul is saying. Others disbelieve. So there's some, some disagreement. There's some debate that happens among the group of people. So Paul quotes Isaiah to them. He's saying, they talked about this in the Old Testament too. It says, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. 
Paul was saying the Old Testament said that you would reject him. He says, as a result, the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles because they will listen. All along the way in Acts, we've seen this happen. Right? We've seen Paul show up in an area. We've seen him preach the gospel to the Jews. We've seen him face opposition. Then we've seen him take the gospel to the Gentiles. That's what's happening here. Only here it's kind of a, a, more, a more final note of Paul saying, all right, I'm going to go to the Gentiles from now on. This is the last picture we get of Paul's ministry in Acts. One final appeal to the Jews, and then, then a determination to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Luke ends the book with just a summary statement. He says, Paul lived there for two years at his own expense. He welcomed and showed hospitality to all who came to visit him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. The end. That's all we get. It's an abrupt ending. It's, 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 a, it's a cliffhanger. It's, it's almost like a student is writing a paper, right? And they hit that, that minimum word count or that minimum page count. And they're like, all right, I'm done. Right? Luke just stops. What, what happened to Paul after this? What, what happened at the trial? What, what did he say before Caesar? What, what happened next? Did, did Paul make it to Spain? What, what happened to the church in Rome? Like, we want to answer all of these questions, and Luke doesn't give us any of that. And there's various explanations out there about why Acts ends in this way, but, but probably what happened is that, that Luke wrote Acts at this point. And he maybe intended to write another volume later and never got around to it or something happened. Like, we, we, we don't know. But there's this, this quote from this, this scholar, John, John Paul Hill, who's an Acts scholar, who, and I think he, he sums it up well. And so I'm just going gonna, gonna to read this because he, he says it better than, than I would. And so uh, I could say these same things, but then I would just be plagiarizing him. And so I'm just going to read this quote. Uh, and so, so hang, hang with me in this. This is, this is long, but, it, but it's, it's really helpful. And I think he, he kind of brings everything together and helps us understand why the book ends this way. So this is what he says. He says, The content of Paul's message forms the conclusion to the message of Acts. He preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. The two belong together. The good news of God's kingdom is the good news about Christ. This was the same message that Paul shared with the Roman Jews. It is ultimately the central message of Acts. The book begins with Jesus sharing the message of God's kingdom with his disciples. It quickly raises the burning question, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That question has now been answered. God has indeed restored his kingdom in the Messiah, in Christ, and it is open to all who will receive him, Jew and Greek. In Christ, God's kingdom is realized as he comes to rule in the hearts of his people. The gospel proclaims the kingdom, and the gospel has triumphed. The final note of Acts is a triumphant one. The word of God has triumphed, but not Paul. Paul was still in chains, still a prisoner. Throughout Acts, the triumph was never with the bearers of the gospel. They were rejected, beaten, reviled, imprisoned, and killed for their witness. But the gospel was unfettered, triumphant. Perhaps Luke deliberately ended on this note to remind his readers that with witness often comes suffering and trial. But when the witness is faithful... 
the gospel triumphs. The word of God's salvation strips all its bonds. And it is to that kind of witness we are called, even if, like Paul, the witness is in chains. Whatever may have been the outcome of Paul's Roman imprisonment, Luke seems to have deliberately chosen to end his story where he did. He ended not on Paul, but on the gospel, on the message of the kingdom, the word of God in Christ, not Peter, not Paul, is the real hero of Acts. And he's saying, Luke, Luke ended it this way on purpose. So that we wouldn't be like, Paul's crazy, look at his story. So that we would focus on the gospel and Jesus' kingdom, which has been our focus throughout the book of Acts. At BC, we're, we're in Acts 29 church. We're partnered with, with a church planning organization called Acts 29. Not because, you know, we want to add chapters onto the Bible, right? 28 chapters of Acts isn't enough. We need to add another one, right? We, we do that because we know that the story continues, right? Acts ends this way because Luke couldn't, written, couldn't have written enough volumes to finish the story, because it's still going. Like we're, we're still part of it. The gospel still triumphs. Jesus is still the hero that he is in Acts. Our role isn't to know the end of the story. It's not to know exactly what happened with Paul or exactly what's going to happen with us in our church. Our role is to, to be present in the story, to be bearers of that good news message. Whether we do that through showing hospitality like we see throughout the book of Acts, or whether we do that through suffering like we see throughout the book of Acts. The story continues, and it's a gracious gift that we get to take part in it. We get to be present in this narrative of the gospel going forth in the world. Just like Paul, we don't, we don't know how our story ends. We don't know what happens next. But we know that the good news is still good news. We know that it's going to keep being good news. We know that Jesus is the Messiah, that the kingdom has come in him. We know that he is on his throne. We know that he is the hope, not just of Israel, but of everyone. And our role is to be bearers of that message. The book of Acts ends with, with that at the forefront, with that as the focus. And that's good because that's exactly how it should be for us. Right? It's so easy for us to become focused on all of those details that we want the answers to. But that's not what's promised to us. What's promised to us is that we have a Redeemer who's making all things new. And so we get to go forward with that good news message, even with all of those unknowns, you know, screaming at us. Paul was able to do that before Caesar in Rome. Like, we don't get the details. But he was able to do that because he was surrounded by other believers who helped him to, to take courage, to help him to remember Jesus. And we get to do that for one another. And so as we continue in worship this morning, as we, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we sing songs of praise, as we fellowship with one another after, let's do that, keeping Jesus as the focus. Because that's the good news we need. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you that the book of Acts is not about Paul. And that, that our story isn't about us. But that your son Jesus is the center, is the focus. Jesus, we thank you that you came and you lived in our place. That you became the hero of our story. That you succeeded where we failed. That you are whole where we're broken. That you're perfect where we're flawed. That you are strong where we're weak. That you entered our world and our story and gave us a happy ending. Pray that you would help us as we as we continue in service this morning, as we continue in worship, that you would send your spirit to, to convict us of the ways in which we, we focus on all the wrong things, that we get distracted by, by, by inconsequential details, that we, instead of, of making things about you, we make them about ourselves. Pray that you would draw us back to yourself. You would enable us not to, to look to our own interests, but to look to the interests of others. Pray that you would help us to, to worship you rightly. And to be bearers of this good news message that you've entrusted to us. Pray that your spirit would move and work in our midst and, and do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf. We thank you that we can be united with you in, a death, in your death, be freed from our sins and, and risen to walk in new life with you. Our obedience is possible, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. It's in your name we pray. Amen.